0: Uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 20, Paul writing here, he says, What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Well, Paul says, certainly not. Uh, Indeed, let God be true, and every man a liar, for as it is written, that you may be justified in your words, and you may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, uh, what shall we say? Is God unjust, who inflicts wrath? Uh, I speak as a man, a man's perspective, and he says, certainly not, for then how will God Judge the world, for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, uh, why am I still judged as a sinner? Uh, And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? uh, As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, therefore their condemnation is just. Uh, So what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. Uh, for we have previously charged both Jews uh, and Greeks that they, are, that they are all under sin. And as it is written, um, there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Uh, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. Uh, there is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of of serpents or asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. Uh, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who were under the law, that every mouth may become guilty, or may be stopped, rather, uh, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And with that, let's pray. Father, we, we, we thank you uh, for your saving grace. Uh, Lord, uh, Whether it be Jew or Gentile, Lord, we discover that we cannot live up to our moral code. But Lord, uh, you have wonderfully, through the cross and through your coming, Lord, to this earth, Lord, you have fulfilled that for us. And for that, Lord, we are eternally grateful. And particularly, Lord, as we have entered into this season, this Christmas season, Lord, where we remember, we celebrate uh, the fact that, Lord, you have come into this world. And Lord, you have come to seek and to save that which is lost, and you're still doing that. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us, Lord, a gospel, Lord, that addresses, Lord, those things. And Lord, we thank you that not only uh, do you address the problem, but Lord, you give the answer. And Lord, we're grateful, we're honored, we commit and open our hearts to you afresh this morning that, Lord, uh, you would speak. We, Lord, we thank you that your truth is always timely, Lord, always relevant. And, and dear Father, we pray uh, that once again, Lord, uh, as we read through these verses, uh, Lord, you'd be speaking and encouraging our lives. Uh, we love you dearly, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. And Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we entitled uh, this little piece this morning, uh, God-Given Advantage, because simply that's what we do have in Christ. We have got a tremendous uh, advantage. I know that so often as we, you know, navigate through life, as a person uh, navigates through life, we're always looking for some kind of edge, always looking for some kind of advantage, you know, over the competition. Uh, something that will maybe help us succeed in life in some kind of way, whether it's in business, uh, maybe a new technique, whether it's in sports or health, you know, some kind of new nutritional kind of thing that will maybe help us and give us an edge. Or in financial matters, just finding the right kind of investment uh, where we won't lose money. Uh, And when you find one, let me know where that is, okay? And... But you know, the Bible shows us the very best advantage in places where we should invest ourselves, and as we invest ourselves in God, uh, we find that that is always the superior edge and advantage that we have. And when we invest our life in Him, there is eternal rewards, eternal dividends, Um, and not only in a sense... Uh, off in the distance e- in eternity, which is a wonderful thing, but I don't think we fully appreciate that in this life. Uh, I, I think um, it's important that we do consider that. But, you know, uh, certainly we get an edge here as well um, in, our, in, our, in our, just our understanding of Christ and our walking with him, our following him, our knowing him in a deeper way. Now, in our text, we have nine questions here uh, some of these are objections to what Paul is dealing with, the matters that he's dealing with here, the things that he's talking with. And he's very familiar with all these arguments, um, particularly, uh, uh, you know, being, you know, we have to think, you know, Paul the great apostle, but also, too, Paul was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. Um, and I was listening uh, a couple times uh, uh, over the last, uh, last few months since the summertime, I've been listening to this uh, teaching by a Jewish guy. And uh, it's kind of interesting, he said, from a Jewish perspective, uh, so often uh, there's the, the constant asking of questions. And, uh, and it's sort of a Jewish, um, almost a cultural kind of a mindset, where no matter what you say, there's always a question. And you can see that uh, as Jesus deals with uh, different issues, you know, in the Scriptures, as Paul here is dealing with issues as well, we find uh, a number of different questions. And looking at verses 1 and 2, he speaks about this advantage um, particularly that the Jewish person has. Uh, we've been talking about the Jew versus the Gentile back and forth. Um, you know, we talked about the Gentiles last week, that they, there's a moral code uh, that God has written it within their hearts. Uh, they need to respond to that. They need to act according to what God has written in their hearts, what, how God has spoken to their life in some kind of way, as he put in it, per, perhaps maybe convictions you know, in their lives about you know, moral things, uh, the right and wrong of life, um, and he says here in verses 1 and 2, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? He says, much in every way, uh, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God, and here is referring to basically the scriptures, and the fact is that the Jews have, the, they have a biblical record, uh, which tells them basically that they have a loving God, uh, and a loving God and Father has created them, and He sustains them. And also, too, the Bible tells us that he has entered human history, uh, and, and, and as a, not only as the creator, but as the Savior, that he has come to wonderfully redeem us. And even though, um, you know, we, we find that uh, there was Jews in the Old Testament that, that uh, didn't actually benefit from his coming, but yet they had the promise of his coming. And there would be benefit from that. There's always benefit from the Word of God uh, in believing it, in, in submitting and in surrendering ourselves, even if we don't fully understand it. And there's a lot of things when it comes to the Bible that we don't fully intellectually grasp. But as, as we simply say, well, Lord, I'm going to trust you. It's like Job. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Uh, and that's the beauty of faith and trust, that it can supersede the circumstances. It supersedes our feelings uh, it supersedes all the things that so often come against, you know, our faith. Uh, the world breeds unbelief, as we, you know, as we look out there at our culture. Uh, there's all kinds of questions, there's all kinds of arguments against God and why God has allowed this. And, you know, if there was a God, why, are, why is there evil in the world and all these particular questions and issues uh, that people deal with uh, to undergird, in a sense, their unbelief. Uh, so we not only discover as we we look at the Bible and particularly as we look at these truths here, the, the, the points that Paul's trying to bring out, is we not only discover who he is, we discover things about ourselves. Uh, that's one thing that if you're going to seriously read the Bible, you're going to God's going to speak to you, and He's going to just basically cause you to discover um, certain things about yourself, about your human nature, you know, about our flaws, and, and as He does that. Uh, the purpose of that is not just to make us maybe feel bad, uh, but it's actually the purpose is to ha- have us depend upon him, to, to look to him, uh, to trust him in a, in a more abiding way. Um, we, we see a number of verses here uh, that speak to basically the, the corruption that's in human nature. Uh, and as we understand that, there's a benefit from that because we, 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 we cast ourselves in a sense before the Lord uh, for His saving grace. And you know what? Uh, I believe, yes, you are saved at a certain point in time, but you know something? As you go through your Christian experience, you're, 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 you're constantly being saved. You're being saved. We're being saved from the habit and the dominion of sin, you know, from those things that once, you know, dominated our life, controlled our life. Um, and so if we don't, if we're not trusting Him and looking to Him for that constant work of salvation, you know, that's taking place in our life, uh, we're going to be failed. Uh, and, and oftentimes as we work through these things, yes, there's a struggle. There is a struggle to live for Christ. You know, we, we not only face, you know, the temptations and all that out in the world, but we, we struggle with our own tendencies, our own proclivities, uh, the things that perhaps maybe were part and parcel of our weak human nature. I think that's a great revelation that we're weak and we need to de- depend and rely upon Him. And it's, a mo- it's more and more because there's an ongoing insight and revelation that comes from God and from His Word into our lives of how really, truly weak we are. Uh, oftentimes, as a new believer, we may think that, you know, we're really powerful because, we, you know, the, this, the, the power of God, <laughs> the Spirit of God has come in and He's filled that void up in our lives. And we feel like, well, I can do anything, um, and we come to learn that we, can do, we cannot, like Jesus said in John 15, we can't do anything without Him. Uh, yes, we can, yeah, well, we're more than conquerors, okay? He always leads us in triumph, but that's because of our reliance and our dependence upon the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in verse uh, 3, he says, What if some did not believe, uh, even though they had the Scriptures, even though they had revelation, even though they had this great advantage uh, what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God uh, without effect? So this person of privilege, they choose simply to not believe. Do they nullify the faithfulness and the grace of God? And then what he's saying basically here is never. Um, you know, we, I think we see this in a sense where some of our children grow up in a godly home, uh, and yet maybe they make a choice to walk away from God, um, to go their own way, Uh, you know, they're in our homes, and oftentimes they're living on the coattails of our faith, Um, and uh, that will never save anybody, okay? Uh, There's a blessing for that in their lives, and it's helped to help them to give an advantage. You know, hopefully as our kids, you know, uh, watch mom and dad navigate through different situations as they're trusting the Lord, uh, even though uh, they go out and they launch out uh, in their own particular experience, which may not be one of faith, but then they have that foundation to harken heark- back to and look to and say, yes, I remember, you know, my parents when they went through this tremendous trial. Uh, and of course, in that, God is beckoning them to trust him, to rely upon him, to look to him. Also, also, too, the thing about, you know, tragedy sometimes can nurse or birth belief, uh, excuse me, unbelief in our lives. Um, And the the fact of the matter is, life is full of of adversity, uh, struggles, and trials. I mean, just think of all the people that have basically been displaced this year through floods and fires. Uh, I mean, just an incredible amount of people just recently there. uh, What is it? Something like 11,000 homes were burned, and uh, families basically put out, people living in tents now. Um, All the flooding that's taken place. You know, these tragedies, oftentimes, as they touch someone's life, they, well, how can God allow this? Um, but it's always interesting when you see a believer, you know, when you see a believer handling these things, you know, just in a gracious kind of a way, trusting God, even though perhaps maybe they've lost everything uh, that takes place. But so often, uh, the person who may be um, weak in faith or the, or the unbeliever uh, begins to blame God, you know, for the situation. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was just looking at a um, um, story that i I read a I read uh, Randy Alcorn's book, uh, probably about uh, five or maybe seven years ago. And, and the book is about tragedy and, and trials and and uh, all kinds of suffering that comes into the life of people. Um, and he shares a story of a, a friend. He said he's, a, he's as he was writing a certain chapter. Um, Uh, One of uh, his friends, you know, mailed him um, this story, and it was about a a gal whose father had raped her and her sisters, and she had been raped from three to nine years old. And can you imagine that? I mean, you talk about abuse. Um, I mean, there's abuse, and then there's that kind of abuse that may take place within the family, which makes it all the more tragic and difficult. But here's what she says. Um, When I was in seventh grade, I prayed and asked God to use the garbage of my childhood to bring glory to him. And that was a God prayer beyond my own vision. I can't count how many people I've been able to encourage who have had similar backgrounds as mine. He has answered that prayer many times over. I became able to call on God right in the middle of dreams that used to scare me, and He would put His mighty arm between me and the danger. Uh, He has used my dark times for His glory and my blessing. Uh, He is such a personal God, isn't He? And I don't understand why He chose to reveal Himself to me so personally, but He did and He still does. Uh, It is as if He cracks the door of heaven open for me here on earth, letting me know that He loves me and watches over me. Pain and suffering is not garbage. When God uses it to show, to show Himself through it, and how true that is. Um, you know, I think about my own experience, uh, uh, the PTSD that I had, um, and suicidal thoughts uh, after Vietnam, uh, and trying to drown out my sorrows with a lot of a lot of drinking. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because I've talked to some other guys about that because there are some guys that even, you know, years later, years later do not have closure. And I remember speaking, uh, Joe Foch was asking me this question. Um, we were down at Laterno Camp um, and they were developing a, a veterans group within their, within their church. This is many years ago. Uh, and Joe said to me, well, what about, you know, what about you? You know, you, were, you, know, you were in combat and you went through all this stuff. What about your PTSD? And I said, well, you know what, Joe? The Lord has given me closure. And, and God has a wonderful way that no matter what it is what we go through, um, that, that he always presents himself, no matter how horrible the circumstances, he's our advantage. He's our great advantage. He's the one who steps in, you know, to our situation and reveals himself. He just reveals himself. Uh, and as he does that, it just transforms, it changes the things that, that otherwise could just destroy our lives as we simply, and that's the thing about trauma in your life. There's, there's something about trauma that we can't totally by ourselves get over it. We can't get over it. I remember, <laughs> uh, and this had to be a God thing too, uh, I, never knew, I, I never could explain or understand it because when I got back from Vietnam, I couldn't remember anything for a year and a half. And it was just sort of inexplicable. I couldn't understand it. But later being in a VA uh, situation, uh, the doctor told me he says, well what you had was combat amnesia. And I thought, wow I never realized that. Uh, and I think that the Lord provided that like like in a sense when children sometimes go through great suffering, that they have a sort of an amnesia because it's so painful and difficult uh, that they just it just sort of blocks things out. And uh, and, and you know you, know, as we turn and, and look to God, He has a way of just stepping in and intervening uh, in a miraculous kind of way, and sometimes when He does, it can be so inexplicable, um, you know like like that story with that that uh, that, that gal uh, and her sisters going through that tremendous pain, and yet turning it to the good, turning it to the good that it became a ministry that she was ministering to other people. Um, So even though the tragedy can birth unbelief, also, too, it can bring great faith. It can bring great faith as we simply look to him. Remember, he's always your edge. He's always your advantage, no matter what may take place, you know, within our lives, within the context of of circumstances. Now, uh, he answers uh, verse 3 in verse 4 where he says, certainly not... Indeed, let God be true. let every man a liar. Uh, so absolutely not. Uh, even if everyone lies, God cannot. Uh, when you talk about certain things God cannot do. He cannot lie, he cannot sin. There are certain things that He cannot do. So let God be true. And now he makes a quote here in verse uh, excuse me, uh, Psalm 51, which we know to be David's psalm of repentance. And this was the great transgression of David's life. When you look at Psalm fifty-one, it's a psalm, it's a song, it's a psalm, it's a poetry that came out of his life after murder, uh, after adultery, uh, after the cover-up, and all those sorts of things. Uh, he, as a man of God, is not it amazing sometimes uh, when you think about you know sometimes even things that a believer can do. Have you ever been hurt by a believer? Ever been hurt by a believer? And all of a sudden we realize that what we thought maybe was the impossible um, becomes very possible. And, and I'll tell you what, when people get hurt uh, by believers, when believers get hurt by believers, it's, it's deep and profound. It's deep and profound because you know what? You don't expect it. You don't expect you know, that kind of treatment you know, in your life and in your particular situation. But here we find, there's a quote here, um, That you may be justified, verse 4 of Psalm 51, in your words, you may overcome when you judge. So here's the thing, here's the point, that even in David's greatest sin, God is faithful. He always remains faithful. And what did he do for David? He restored David. I mean, think about it. Here's a man of God that had, you know, tremendous insight you know, into his relationship with God. He had known God. The Spirit of God had come upon him in a very powerful way, anointing him, if you remember that scenario there. And yet he did those things. He sinned to that degree. And God was faithful. God was faithful to forgive him. God was faithful to restore him and to bless him. Now, verse 5, if our unfaithfulness demonstrates... Now, this is what they were saying. If our unfaithfulness... Uh, demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Uh, Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Uh, And basically they were imputing the motives of God and they were saying God is just using our sins and our failures in order to demonstrate his wrath and judgment. It's amazing how convoluted the thinking becomes when somebody is in unbelief and sin. Did you ever maybe in your own life Get stuck in a season of maybe unbelief, and after that season passes, you look back and say, "Well, how? Can, how I couldn't believe the way I was acting, or, or some of the things that I was saying, or, or something that I did." That—that's unbelief. That—that's what unbelief can so twist things. That's why it's so important. Um, that, that we as people of faith, that we continue you know, in our trust and our reliance, our looking to God in the midst of our particular circumstances. Because unbelief is like a snake. It can coil around your life. It can choke the life of God out of you. And David's a good example of that. His lies and his cover-up. Probably for maybe close to a year or more. And yet, the grace of God, the mercy of God, stepped in there. And so then, God, you're you're just using our sins, our failures, to demonstrate your wrath and your judgment, and how wrong that is. Because they're basically saying, "God, you are and you are unjust." It impugns the motives of God. I remember Job when he was in his scenario, and. Uh, and you know, as he experiences great loss, you know, of his whole family, um, you know, of his, um, you know, everything that he owned, he lost all of that. Uh, and it's said that Job, he didn't charge God foolishly, he he didn't impugn God's motives, that he continued to trust the Almighty, uh, even though there were situations like, well, Lord, why? And it's and it's. And it is a mystery when you read that book because he was the most upright guy. The Bible tells us that in chapter 1 of Job that he was the most upright individual on all the earth at that time. (laughs) And God purposed this test in Job's life. And he handled it perfectly. He handled it right. He He didn't charge God, you know, Having the wrong motive or God was unjust in any kind of a way? Well, he answers it in verse 6 certainly not. How then uh, will God judge the world? And again, if God is unjust, he loses all of his authority and therefore he cannot judge. Remember before the judgment of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 18 of Genesis? Uh, I think it's verse 25. The question is Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And certainly Abraham did not have the recorded truth of that, like you and I do. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Do you think that for one moment God is going to do you wrong? He is not. And even when wrong takes, you know, happens and takes place, you know, in our life. And again, it may come through the hand of somebody that we know, somebody that we love. Now, we can expect it from, you know, an enemy or an adversary. But when it comes from somebody that we know, and somebody that we love, all of a sudden it sort of shakes us to the foundations. But God is faithful. God is gracious. God is good. He works all things to the good. And some of us are going to, we're, we're going to face trials of that nature. It's not, it's not a question of if we're going to face them, it's when we're going to face them. And that's why it's so important that we're trusting him now, you know, in the, in the ordinary, everyday, little circumstances of our lives. Because those things that we're trusting him for now, we build upon them. We, we build upon them so that when you know that great adversity comes when that great challenge comes to our faith that we're able to keep our eyes focused upon Him, that we don't just sort of recoil in, in unbelief and, and, and get mad. I think sometimes as a believer, we can get mad at God, but we won't admit that. Has that ever happened to you? Okay. Happened to me, okay? I, well, I didn't want to admit it because I knew, I, I knew that what, I, I, I shouldn't admit that. But I was really upset at the circumstances because I had been trusting God and something you know, something just really fell apart. And what fell apart was my plans, not God's plans. That's what fell apart. And he didn't come through because I took a step of faith. It's like, okay, I took a step of faith. You know, you're supposed to follow through and do your part, you know, kind of a thing. And and it just didn't happen uh, the way that I thought it would happen. But God had another plan. God was working something out. Uh, he was basically toughening me up for what He knew I had to face. Now, verse seven. For if the truth of God <clears throat> has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged uh, as a sinner? And I, th- and I think he's simply saying here that, you know, let us keep on lying, let us keep on sinning. Um, since it will make him look better, it will underscore his truth. It's kind of like I remember back uh, uh, in the hippie days of the 1960s, you know, where people said, well, God created marijuana. He must create it for us to smoke. You remember that kind of uh, logic? Remember that? You know? I think it's like, I, 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 for instance, you know, you, a person can, you know, I have a sexual desire. Well, since, you know, God must have created me this way, so therefore just live out my desires. And again, all these arguments here, they're based on unbelief. They're not really based on believing God's truth. Because when we believe the truth, we take the advantage. That's why you know it. Know your Bible. Know your Bible. It will deliver you time and time again. It will give you insights. It will encourage you. Trusting Him, believing in Him, always gives you the advantage. And oftentimes, that, that seems to be, it doesn't look like we're getting the advantage. You know, uh, you've all heard of David uh, Livingston. And I was just reading a little biographical sketch about David Livingston. Uh, And he was a British guy, and he went, basically, he was the discoverer. I remember I was in my teens, there was a song about David Livingston. Uh, But he was more than just a, uh, you know, bent on exploration and discovery. He was a Christian, uh, and he wanted to take the gospel. Uh, You'll never hear that from a secular, um, you know, historian, but that's what his objective was, was to take the gospel. Um, and and here's, uh, let me just read this little uh, piece, it says David Livingston was eager to travel into the uncharted lands of Central Africa to preach the gospel on one occasion the famous 19th century missionary and explorer arrived on the edge of a large territory that was ruled by a tribal chieftain according to tradition the chief would come out and meet him there, Livingston would go forward only after an exchange had taken place the chief would choose any item of Livingston's personal property that caught his fancy and keep it for himself while giving the missionary something of his own in return. Well, Livingston had few possessions with him, but at their encounter he obediently spread them all out on the ground, his clothes, his books, his watch, uh, even the goat that had provided him with milk since he had chronic stomach problems uh, and the, milk, the, the goat milk kept him from drinking the local water. But to his dismay, the chief took the goat. <laughs> it's always the way it is. In return, the chief gave him a carved stick that looked like a walking stick. Well, Livingston was most disappointed. He began to gripe to God about what he had viewed as a stupid walking cane. What could, he do with, what could, what, what could it do for him compared to the goat that had kept him well? And then one of the local men explained, quote, that's not a walking cane. It's the king's very own scepter. And with it you will find entrance into every village of our country. The king has honored you greatly. The man was right. God opened Central Africa to Livingston. And as successive, successive evangelists followed him, wave after wave of conversions occurred. You, you see, In that, God is always, no matter, oftentimes as we may look at a trial, a circumstance, a situation, he's honoring us. He's blessing us. And sometimes the the most difficult things that we face and go through end up being simply God's blessing to us that came in disguise. I think we find oftentimes in the Christian life that, that God's blessings come disguised and he allows us to kind of work through this, you know, you know, griping or why and why me and and all that sort of thing. But there's always a blessing. And remember that when maybe you're led into a circumstance or situation and and you know, your 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 hopes and aspirations are let down, you will find out later that he has honored you. And that which you thought was was you know, something much lesser was something much greater. It was God's blessing that comes to us so often um, in a disguise. Now, coming to verse nine, we have seven quotes here. Uh, this was what they called in rabbinical teaching of of stringing the pearls together. Uh, this is what Paul's doing here, uh, actually, from a rabbinical background. He's taking these Old Testament scriptures. He's, he's sort of connecting them all to make a point, um, you know, relative to his message here, because uh, this is going to basically shed light and truth and reality on man's condition. What, what's so important um, for, for us is to understand our frailties, our weaknesses, um, our, our sins, uh, as we understand, you know, our vulnerabilities like that. Again, that's the advantage. It makes us to trust Him more, to lean upon Him more, to realize how much more I need the Word of God, you know, in my life. Uh, how much? How much less I need this, um, you know. As you begin to go through life, you begin to find you're, you're removing things out of your life—unnecessary things, weights, distractions, maybe even temptations that were once a, maybe a part of your life and your particular experience, but it wasn't until the revelation of God came and showed you that that thing wasn't good for you. He says, what then? Are we better than they? And I think Paul perhaps is maybe asking this as a Jew, okay? Um, as a Jew, maybe verses... The Gentile. But we're only better as we accept truth. We're only better as we accept truth. If we navigate through life on our own truth, and that's why this, this situational ethic thing that's been going on in our educational system for the last, you know, close to 40 years, it's a bunch of hooey. Yeah. You go, your truth, I got my truth. <laughs> no, there's one truth. Yeah. There, there is absolute truth. And that, that's the thing. There's, that, that's what we, we are dealing with in our culture and our society. There's not absolute truth. You got your truth, I got my truth. And look how, Look at the truth how it's destroying so many people. But when you've got God's truth, you've got the truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth will make you free. And I'll tell you what, as a believer, the truth will keep you free. It'll keep you free. You don't just accept Jesus and go your own way, right? You, 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 you received his truth that you're, you're, that you're a sinner um, and you continue to trust him and rely upon his truth because you know what? As a believer, we can end up going back into our life of sin. We all know somebody. We all know, we all know people that that's happened to. The truth will set you free. It will keep you free. So he says, are we better than they? Not at all. We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Uh, As it is written, again, these seven quotations. Uh, There is none righteous, no, not one. Now this is God's assessment of human goodness. If we're humanists, this will greatly offend us. (laughs) So you might want to put your seatbelt on right now, okay? In other words, no one can get to heaven on their own merit. Can't get to heaven on your own merit. You may be better than me. You may be a pretty good person. But you are not going to get to heaven on your own merit. We get to heaven on the merits of Jesus Christ. And what he has done. That's what the cross is all about. Nobody could measure up. And there's probably been some pretty good people. And remember, even remember within the... The 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 Jews of, of of Jesus' day and Paul's day, um, they worked very hard. They worked very very hard and diligently uh, to to cultivate and develop and hone their own righteousness. But nobody is righteous enough. None righteous, no, not one. None who understands. In other words, we don't. <laughs> As much as, you know, people apprise may be virtue in our culture, in our society, we can't see it except from God's perspective. That's the only way that we can really understand uh, what real true virtue is, and, and, and all of us know that if, we, if, if the Holy Spirit's worked in our life. We realize His standard is so much different, you know, than our standard of righteousness. And again, when you think about understanding, even, even the people that had the Bible for 1,500 years, when, when God came in Christ, what did they do to him? Put him on a cross. You know, we need more than just to have a Bible. The Bible needs to be in our hearts. in the Spirit of God. Needs to be in our lives. There is none who seeks after God. You see, we seek Him because He sought us. What did Jesus say? No, no one can come to the Father except through me. And, and, and He says, you've not sought me. I've, I've sought you. And and I think when we're awakened to the fact that you know all of a sudden we got this God consciousness. Remember what? Remember that happened for you? All of a sudden you start thinking about. All of a sudden you had this God consciousness because why? He was seeking after you, and it came at a certain point in time. And, and that's part of His drawing us, you know, unto Himself, bringing us into relationship. But I want to tell you what: the thought didn't originate with us. Does that insult you a little bit? I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, but it's the truth. It all begins with him. And I'll tell you what, that's awesome. When you think about it, God's thinking about me. (laughs) He says, they've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. I so often think of that psalm, him rather. Uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Did you wander a little bit this week? Mm. I guess I'm the only one, huh? It's amazing you can we, you can get up from your Bible, you can get up from prayer, and man, that heart can just <laughs> that quick, that quick. There is there is none who does good, no, not one. You know, the thing is, too, people do not uh, truly do good things without heaven's influence in their life. Unbelievers can do good things. But even when they do, I believe they've been inspired by God. You know, one of the things that we have in the Western world is what I refer to as a Christian ethic. And that Christian ethic can make somebody kind. It can inspire somebody to serve. It can make somebody heroic to give their life for another person. I, I think that happens all the time. There's a statement uh, by a political um, Journalist. Interesting statement. He was an atheist. Uh, he, he was, a, he was a, uh, um, a man himself, an unbeliever in Africa. And he says something. Uh, the author of this book um, is basically speaking about the impact of the gospel and Christianity around the world and how, ch- how over the course of history it has made so many changes He he says this, he says, uh, Christians often lead the way from starting universities like Oxford, Harvard, to others, to founding hospitals, uh, to caring for the sick in Ebola-stricken West Africa, only to contract uh, Ebola themselves. Those Christians whose actions are consistent uh, with their words are helping to change the hearts of, of the very people who once opposed them. Uh, the coupling of wise words and wise actions doesn't just get things done. Uh, it gets things and people changed. This man's name is Matthew Paris. Matthew Paris, the well-known atheist, describes how the gospel message outpaces secular efforts to change the desperate situation in his own African homeland. In an article entitled, As an Atheist, he says, quote, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Paris wrote that secular, quote, education and training alone will not do in Africa. Christianity changes people's hearts, and it brings a spiritual transformation. A rebirth is real. The change is good, end of quote. That's an atheist. And you know, he's the same God here as he is in Africa. He's the God. You know, one of the things that I've been having been to Africa, one of the things that I see over there, because people don't have anything like we have things. But you know what they have? They got Jesus. Jesus. They got Jesus, and that's all they got. They don't have a lot of medicine. They don't have a lot of material. But I'll tell you what, they got Jesus, and because they got him, they're willing to trust and believe. in. so don't let our things and our stuff and the unbelief of our culture get in the way because the gospel still changes hearts today. And I think each one of us, we represent that change because we've been changed. And even though at times we see it seems like our life is just a pinprick, in the darkness that surrounds us, it's a pinprick nevertheless. We may underestimate ourselves, but don't underestimate the power of the gospel. God help us to speak it. God help us to live it and to trust him, for he wants to do great and mighty things today, as he he has always done. Now, verses 13 and 14, uh, we we have here um, things that people say, some of the harsh and bitter things that people say, you know, in the heat of an argument. And I just want to look at Ephesians 4 in light of that, because We all know the power of the tongue. The Bible says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can speak life, or the words can be so hurtful and wounding, they kill love, kill affection. And in uh, Ephesians 4, uh, Paul writing says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for the necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Interesting that he uses the grieving of the Holy Spirit in reference to words, unkind words and corrupt words that are said. Let all bitterness, wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. And, of course, verses uh, you know, 15 uh, through 18 speak of uh, the tendency, man's, uh, man's tendency towards violence. And, of course, we don't even need any illustrations on that. All you have to do is just look at the, the news uh, at and, and any given time and any day. But this list here, verses let's see verses ten uh, through eighteen, what it speaks about is basically human depravity and how far it can go. Not all people are depraved to the same degree, some more, some less. And sometimes you can read it about depravity in the Bible, and we may not think that we're capable of it, but unfortunately, we are. Maybe we haven't done that. Maybe I haven't gone to that degree. But given the right circumstances, it's amazing what human nature is capable of. And the mere fact that we have not gone to those degrees, glory to God. Glory to God. What great things he has done. He has, he has kept you. He has kept us. He has sustained us. And for that, we should be so thankful. Now, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be silenced or stopped and all the world may be guilty or accountable before God. You see, here's the advantage for you and I, as you and I hear God's truth. You know, as we hear, you know, for the Jew basically, and even today within Christianity, uh, we put this emphasis upon. You know, you need to live according to the Ten Commandments. Have you ever tried that? It's impossible. I can remember this not maybe a month ago. I was listening to a really well-known Bible teacher. And it really kind of got me attention. It got me really thinking. Um, and he was talking about the Ten Commandments. And he says the very first one, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, with every fabric of your being. He says, I don't think I've ever done that. And i kind of like, whoa, really? And as I thought about it, you're absolutely right. Oh, no, I love God. but not with every ounce of my being. I think I do. I think I do. But my actions prove differently. And, and that's, that, was the, that was the issue, basically, with the, the religious Pharisees and that religious group of Jesus' day, because they weren't doing some things externally, outwardly, they thought, yeah, yeah we are good. But we can violate the Ten Commandments just in our thinking. Yeah. That was the point that Jesus was making. Because there were, there were, there were, you know, he was speaking to these men who basically uh, said, well, we don't fornicate. But they didn't hear. Remember in Ezekiel's day, interesting story, that there was a vision that Ezekiel climbed through a wall in the temple in his vision. And he was seeing all these unclean things, all these forbidden things that were forbidden for a Jew to have. And and it's interesting, the Lord said to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel was shocked about it, he said, this is what's going on in the people's minds, in the minds of the priests. If you're if you're not finding the ability in you to live up to the 10 commandments because see even as a Christian we're going to struggle with this. We're going to struggle with this. Because we live in houses of clay. We have propensities and desires that are very very human. And that's why I think sometimes as people struggle with this, and I mean Christians. They, They they struggle with the proclivities, the tendencies, the desires that they have, and all of a sudden they're just they're gone from Christian fellowship. And maybe even some of those folks begin to live a whole different lifestyle. And they're simply saying, I I can't do it. I can't live like that. It's not in me. And it's only in us by grace. It's only as the Holy Spirit comes into us. And here's the beautiful thing. As the Holy Spirit comes into us, all of a sudden we find ourselves lining up with the commandments. Not perfectly. Perfectly but we find ourselves loving our neighbor. You know, we sit there and we're meditating over our Bibles and we're just realizing, God, you're so good. Father, you're so awesome. Lord, I love you so much. See, it's not anything that we can accomplish in and of ourselves. It's as the Spirit of God comes into us, and he begins to live through us. That's the transformation. And sometimes when we're just trying in our own humanity, endeavoring in our own humanity uh, to be holier, to be more perfect, we find ourselves failing over and over and over again. He goes on to say here. Well, he's saying basically that every human argument is silenced against this standard. The standard of the law. The standard of the Ten Commandments. And again, the advantage is knowing this truth. Knowing how weak we are. Knowing that we need help. We need internal power. It's not within us. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. In his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, by the law is the knowledge of sin, not the forgiveness of sin. That's why Jesus came. The law was simply, it was a billboard, if you will. It was a schoolmaster, as Paul says. It was a teacher. It was simply to point us into relationship and a reliance upon Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've lived one perfectly holy day in all my life. And I don't mean to say that to encourage anybody. (laughs) But it's a truth. The Bible says the law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law can only point us to sin. And it's only Jesus that can blot out sin. And that's why we look to him. That's why we need him. We need him moment by moment. Hour by hour, day by day. We just we rely upon His Spirit, His life, His power. Amen. Lord, we uh, when we read this, Lord, we can't help but recognizing our own frailties, Father, our own weaknesses. And you did not come, Lord, to condemn us. You came to save us. The law condemns us. Because we realize, Lord, we can't keep it. You're the great law keeper. And you will keep those, Father, who trust in you. I pray for us today. I pray that you'd help us, Lord. to just more fully surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we realize how imperfect we are. And oftentimes, Lord, that's a process. That's a long process that takes place sometimes over years. But to come to the realization that we simply cannot do it in and of ourselves. We open our lives to you. Lord, as re- yesterday in men's prayer, Lord, we read Psalm 81. And you spoke to your people, and I believe you're speaking to us as well. To open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. We open our hearts to you this morning afresh. Lord, empower us to do your will. Change us, Lord, where we need changing. We thank you for the ongoing revelation about ourselves, but more importantly, Lord, about you and what you can do, for you can do all things. You're the God of the impossible. And Lord, you've You've changed us. Continue to do that, Lord. Continue to work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Father, be glorified in us. We're your church. Lord, we're your bride. We're your people. Go with us, I pray. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.